Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I will be your host. Recently, we have witnessed tremendous darkness in Uvalde, Texas. Nineteen children and two teachers were fatally shot in this Texas town by an 18-year-old man named Salvador Ramos. There's been a great deal of discussion in the public square about what has happened in Uvalde. There are numerous factors to take into account. One of them is this. According to Stephen McCraw, head of the Texas Department of Public Safety, and this is per Fox News, the chief of police for the Uvalde School District made the call to not let officers into the classroom where Uvalde uh, resident Ramos was shooting students because he believed Ramos had barricaded himself and was no longer a threat to children. The Fox News piece continues. While police officers followed Ramos into the building within two minutes of the attack, another 47 minutes passed before the Border Patrol tactical team breached the door. McCraw then said this about that 47 minutes passing. Of course, it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision. McCraw, according to Fox, said teachers and children repeatedly called 911 asking for help as Ramos carried out the attack, shooting and killing with impunity. And he did not call out the chief of police, Peter Arredondo, in Uvalde by name. There really are few words that can sum up the horror of events like this. We have gotten tragically used to them in America in recent decades, and we are clothed in sadness and mourning and grief for the loss of these lives in Texas just one week ago. In reflecting on these events, I am reminded that Satan hates children. I think about a Bible verse Matthew 2.16, that covers the events of Christ's own birth, when we read this about Herod. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Matthew 2.16 teaches us something about evil men. It teaches us that for reasons that make no sense to most people in God's common grace, there is a darkness that drives some to target children as the outlet of their rage and their anger and the festering depravity that they carry in their heart. In God's common kindness, most people do not react to the difficulties of their life in this way by taking up guns and killing children or going to public places beyond children and opening fire on civilians. Most people do not do this, it bears saying, but some do. It is a satanic instinct to target, attack, and kill children. Whatever else is going on in this story, whatever else is in Salvador Ramos's background, past, and situation, We know, as Christians, the ultimate reason why terrible things like this happen. They happen because we are in a fallen world. They happen because everyone is a sinner. They happen because when it comes to your sin, sin is not a manageable or controllable reality. Sin is the part of you that is uncontrollable. And when different factors uh, shake out in certain ways, in the life of individuals, that uncontrollable fire in us, in all of us, can spill over and can lead to such tragic events as the one we are considering here on this podcast. There's a lot that is always going to be at play with school shootings and public shootings and the tortured individuals who carry them out. We have to be very clear as believers, though, in terms of the public conversation, and show people that we know why these horrific acts occur. They occur because the human heart is desperately wicked above all else. They occur because depravity 
is a wild thing. They occur because for any number of immediate reasons in the mind of the one who would kill children or open up fire in public places, sin drives us to do wicked acts like this. And behind our own sin, behind our own experience, is the devil. The devil who hates all human life, who hates humankind as the image of God, who despises children, does not care for children, does not want the good of children, but wants to tear every one of them apart and send every one of them he can to hell. Those are the stakes. There's more to say societally and culturally, of course, and I'll try to say a few things here in what follows. But we just have to make sure that we remember that we are not in some kind of neutral territory here. We are in a battleground between light and darkness. Satan seeks to co-opt people and get them to do horrific things. And he sometimes succeeds in the form of shootings like this one in our era. That's a very sobering reality. It reminds us that there is a devil who prowls this earth, 1 Peter 5, 8, and who hates humanity, hates the image of God, hates us, hates the church, and wants to destroy all he can. It's not for a good reason. It's not for a well-thought-out premise that's justifiable according to sound thinking. It's because the devil is utterly malevolent, and that is the presence that roams the earth, according to Scripture, underneath the sovereignty of God. In reflecting on what happened in Uvalde. I'm reminded, secondly, that we need increased safety at our schools. I am no public safety expert. I am not an educator who is tasked with this kind of area of school management, but schools need to invest in security in this day and age. Again, I have no genius insight to offer here in terms of stopping public shootings and school shootings, but I would very strongly encourage any school official who is out there, who may be listening, to employ a full-time security officer, ideally two, to have good protocols with regard to locking doors and um, uh, patrolling a, a campus of a school and having things well set up so that the children in that school are cared for, whether that is a public school, a private school, a Christian school, whatever it may be. Do not assume Uh, because there's a door and a bunch of adults that everything is going to work out perfectly. I would assume today that because of the first truth we talked about here, because Satan seems to take special glee in agitating murder and violence against children, that we will see more of this kind of horrific attempted outcome. So I would encourage you now to get ready for winter. If you are at all involved in a school, of any kind, if you are around children beyond schooling and they are together in a place that people could discover and could potentially attack, we can't play God and we can't make our lives uh, completely uh, sin-proof, but I would encourage you to do anything you can to give protection, whatever protection you can, to the children under your care. Call a meeting. Call a meeting of the staff. Call a meeting of the teachers. Call a meeting at the church. Do whatever is necessary in responsible human terms to increase safety. Have a security officer on premise or two. And remember, let me speak into the political realm for just a moment here. I'm not in politics. That's not my primary burden on this podcast or in my broader work. But remember that those who tell us that we don't need guns, those who tell us that the solution to school shootings and public shootings will continue to employ security teams and bodyguards who will be packing guns. I want you to remember this. Those celebrities who fire up social media and tell us that what we need is a gun-free society, something in that vein those same celebrities will employ security guards who will have serious defense ability when it comes to protecting the life of that celebrity. So we all recognize 
at least at the instinctual level, that it is a good thing to fight fire with fire. I think along these lines that we should allow teachers to to use concealed carry. It appears that Robb Elementary School, the school that was uh, targeted by Ramos and Uvalde, was a soft target. That's what some have called it. Uh, The Washington Post has a quotation along these lines that has recently come out. Most Texas schools and most schools, many schools across the country, are subject to the Federal Gun-Free Zone Act, which supposedly protects children. According to the no-doubt well-intended ideals of public officials, if you make a school a gun-free zone, you protect the children there. I understand the logic. I get it. It would seem to make sense. And furthermore, anywhere there are guns, we all need to acknowledge, as a Christian, as a conservative, whatever you may be, there is risk. There is the risk of something going wrong if there is a gun in a home, in a school, in a public place, anywhere you want to name. But here's the reality. All too often, gun-free zones end up with guns in them. It is these gun-free zones that feature slaughter and massacre of individuals. I am not trying to say that if we allow for concealed carry or these kind of realities, that there will be no death and everything will be magically healed and restored. I don't believe that, and I don't think anyone else should either. But I am reckoning, trying to, with a context in an era when wicked individuals, especially men, target innocence. They go to places they know they're not going to get fire back, and they open up. And they kill many. And so there is a lot going on in our society and culture that is leading to these horrific events. One of our responses, though, at least as I read these kind of reports, needs to be to not give an open invitation to the wicked and the deranged to come and attack children. So I know in recent days that the left has absolutely poured forth scorn on the NRA, on conservatives, on Republicans, all of whom defend the right to bear arms. But that is totally wrong as a political play. That is not the right move. The right move in reckoning with what has just happened in Uvalde, would be responsibly to seek to do what we can to ensure that these kind of settings, like a school where there are precious children, cannot be treated as an invitation to shoot at will. Now, it appears that Uvalde had some kind of security officer, but that officer was not on premises when Ramos came onto the, st- the scene and started his wicked work. There's always going to be all sorts of particularities of the situations, propped open doors and these sorts of things. And so we cannot fail to know that. But what we can do as Christians is know that Jesus himself is asked by his disciples about carrying a couple swords, and Jesus does not rebuke his disciples for carrying those swords. He actually says that it is enough in Luke's gospel for them to have a couple swords. So they have, Jesus' disciples themselves, practice the right of self-defense. And we need to be very clear that whatever your precise position on guns, whether you have many guns in your home or you have no guns in your home, wherever you specifically fall on this entire issue, it is clearly not working out for there to be gun-free zones because wicked individuals target those zones and exploit them, and many die as a result. It is not the right conclusion to demonize conservatives who stand for the right of self-defense. It is entirely the wrong way to go. In fact, it is terribly sad to see major politicians, including 
uh, the American president use these wicked uh, events as political um, windfalls for their talking points. And so this is not about, for me, left versus right, Republican versus Democrat. That is not at all ultimately what I am concerned about. I want the good of children, as so many of you listening to this do. But we need to be very clear that there is sound thinking and there is unsound thinking. And it is unsound thinking to advertise to evil and deranged individuals that they can come to a certain setting and they will find no opposition there. That is the height of folly. It's not just folly, though. That is the abdication of the responsibility every adult has at some level of protecting children. We are in a society that does everything but protect children. We are in a society, Romans 1, 18 and following, that is already under judgment in some hard-to-define way. We are under judgment now. We are experiencing the ministrations of God's wrath now for our sin. And one effect of that judgment that we are under is that children are targeted. It is absolutely shocking to see people who are openly campaigning for abortion, including abortion or or killing of children born outside of the womb, turn around and supposedly be for children when it comes to school shootings. Now, I will accept that perhaps those individuals don't want school shootings, but we need to be very clear that our society has broken down in terms of protecting children. The way forward is ultimately not in any political party. The way forward is in Scripture, and Scripture calls us to protect children to the fullest possible account. And part of protecting children in a society like ours is not pretending that if we have gun-free zones, there will be no gunmen. It is taking evil seriously. It is arming up against evil. This line that I am trying to articulate here goes against a Pollyanna-ish view of the world, a view that is sadly and shockingly increasingly held by evangelicals. But we need to be very clear wherever we live that we will do whatever we can to protect children, to fight for the life of children. Do Christians still believe this? Do Christians still want to take a stand for this? You can't just send good feelings in the direction of children. And you can't just send the hopeful intention in the direction of society that no one bad will show up on your premises. You also have to be wise. You also have to be shrewd. You also have to use means. God has ordained means in this world. Trusting in God's absolute, infinite, detailed, meticulous sovereignty, according to theologian Bruce Ware, I love his framing of that, does not mean not using means. To the contrary, trusting in the sovereignty of God absolutely means, no pun intended, using means in every facet of our life, of our existence. The sovereignty of God does not in any way extinguish human responsibility. It actually enfranchises it, and it does so in the subject, in the very important area of protecting children. God help us if we don't protect children. And again, by saying that, I don't mean send good feelings in the direction of children and send somewhat negative vibes in the direction of those who would harm children. No, I mean get serious. I mean put skin in the game to stand up for children. Children, remember, are our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is the second greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 34 to 39. We are not loving our neighbor in a major way if we fail to protect children. Let me just say this uh, in summing up this, this matter. Do everything you can, father, mother, Christian, whoever you are, wherever you are, do your part to protect and love and help children. Do not trust. 
that secular society in 2022 or any successive year is going to partner with you in that. People may say they will. People may even think, according to their own mind, that they are doing so. But do not necessarily trust them in that. You, according to the Word of God, do your part. Do everything you can to protect children. This leads to a third reflection on Uvalde and this horrific crisis. We must remember that young men are struggling terribly. There is an epidemic in this country. It is an epidemic of young men. Young men are doing badly. It's not just that there's an isolated kid in your neighborhood somewhere or your community who's not having the best possible day he could have. Please do not misunderstand me. It is that our entire society has shifted away from producing virtuous young men in any kind of even common grace form. Christians, of course, know that ultimately our goal is not just to have a good society and have bright-eyed young men. That is not remotely the top of our goals as Christians, as families, and as churches. We are ultimately about the glory of God, and the glory of God takes expression in all sorts of wonderful ways. But God has staked everything, in a human sense, that is, on men. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. There is no other hope. All our hope is set on Jesus Christ. Outside of the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, there is no hope in this world. But in terms of creation order, in terms of the world, the way God has set it up under the lordship of Jesus Christ, men are central to the good of they themselves, taking responsibility, that is, in God's kindness for themselves, for their wife, for their children, for their church, for their vocation, for their society, for the defense of said society, and on we could go. Men are central to the human flourishing project set up by God. If you have strong men, you have the anthropological backbone for strong institutions. If you have weak men, you have no anthropological structure for strong societies and strong institutions. This is the way God has set things up. God has made men, for example, from the beginning, the head of their wife. God has made men the one who oversees the home and the family and the church and who are called to be leaders and being salt and light in the public square, in the community, in the society, and on it goes. Men are central anthropologically, to a strong public order, to strong institutions, to strong churches. Men cannot save themselves. Men, just like women, need Jesus Christ and need Jesus Christ infinitely. So Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of it all, of the entire project of God having a blood-bought covenantal people for himself. But do not miss that Jesus himself said to Peter that Peter is the rock upon which he is building the church. So it is not inappropriate at all. It is only right that we recognize, again, in human terms, that God has structured everything, truly, around strong men. So, if that is true, if that is a key teaching of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, as indeed it is. It's a very bad reality for a society, for churches, for homes, for women themselves, for children, when men are struggling, and struggling terribly. I was reminded this past week 
of an engagement in the New York Times, the pages, or I guess the pixels of the New York Times, some four years ago this very month. It was in a profile of Jordan Peterson, entitled Jordan Peterson, Custodian of the Patriarchy, written by Nellie Bowles, published on May 18th, 2018. Jordan Peterson, then and now, by my lights, is not a God-loving, born-again believer. He is not by his own admission. Nonetheless, in a kind of common grace sense, Jordan Peterson has been one of the only figures in the last decade or so who in the Western public square will in any form, from any worldview, defend the idea that men need to be strong and, even outside of that contention, that men need help today. Bowles, this New York Times writer, and Peterson went back and forth in this really vicious hit piece by Nellie Bowles over whether men are okay and need help or whether that is ridiculous. And they talk about uh, a past killing by a young man in Toronto. And um, Peterson says this. He was angry at God in this New York Times piece because women were rejecting him. The cure for that is enforced monogamy. That's actually why monogamy emerges. And here's Bowles writing in the New York Times. Mr. Peterson does not pause when he says this. Enforced monogamy is to him simply a rational solution. Otherwise, women will all only go for the most high-status men, he explains, and that couldn't make either gender happy in the end. Half the men fail, he says, meaning that they don't procreate, and no one cares about the men who fail. End quotation from Peterson. And here's Bowles's next line in her New York Times piece. I laugh because it is absurd. Let me repeat that. Don't miss this. I laugh, Bowles writes, because it is absurd. We can discuss the role of men marrying and having families in the struggles and successes of young men today. That's a viable conversation to have, the one that Bowles and Peterson are having at some level in this piece four years ago in the New York Times. But I want to be very clear. It is not absurd at all for Jordan Peterson to have identified the most troubling reality of Western civilization today. Men failing. Men needing help and society laughing at them. I am not making men victims. The shooter in Uvalde, whatever the complex of reasons in his own mind and heart behind his absolutely depraved acts, is fully culpable and responsible for what he did. This is not remotely an attempt by me to soften that. You've heard me in no uncertain terms speak of what he did, Ramos did, as unspeakably horrific. Hellfire awaits those who carry out such acts, and rightly so. And we pray for his soul. We pray that he will repent and trust Christ. This is unfathomably evil. Whatever is in play in his life, his tortured mind, his heart. But we also need to be clear, while never communicating, that men are victims inherently in their sinful state, that our society has many young men flailing and struggling tremendously, and people laugh at them. You cannot laugh at struggling young men. There is nothing funny about it. There is nothing ridiculous about it. In fact, the society that laughs at struggling young men is the society that will reap its laughter in horrific form. Struggling young men, by definition, are not going to handle setbacks and difficulties and trials and their own tortured situation well. That's the whole deal. That's their whole predicament. They're going to handle it for any number of reasons, from any variety of backgrounds, badly. And one of the ways they definitely do handle whatever is going on in their situation, heart, and mind 
is to lash out, is to use their innate aggression, testosterone, calculation, action-oriented personhood against others. That is what we are seeing over and over again. Young men are lashing out. Young men are exacting vengeance on others. They do not need some kind of secular therapeutic affirmation program. Every last one of them needs the gospel, but whether they respond to the gospel or not, as we cannot guarantee, we cannot save them ourselves, they need the law. They need consequences when it comes to attempted perpetration of evil. And far before that, God help us. They need fathers. They need families. They need training. They need love. They need help in every possible form. This is an entire set of podcasts unto itself. This is a whole set-apart podcast dedicated to this reality, to struggling young men today and how to address it. So I'm going to have to cut off my thoughts here. But we simply need to point this out and leave it on the record for consideration that young men are struggling terribly today. We get a glimpse of this in a particularly awful form when these shootings occur, and 98% of these public shootings are committed by men, 98% of them, according to uh, an outfit called The Violence Project that has been tracking these shootings since 1966. This does not show us that we should take men out of the human race. It does show us, again, a larger subject than I can tackle here, but please hear the burden. Hear the burden here. Young men need help. We need stronger families. The family has broken down. And when families break down in a society, and when societies themselves lose the moral framework and cultures lose the religious base that gives people a foundation, what is going to happen is chaos. And in chaos, Young men in particular are not going to handle that chaos well. They will, in many cases, handle it very badly. That is no excuse for them. This is simply sociological, observatory. And so if you don't want more of this horrific kind of event to occur, there's a lot that we need to focus on. But one element of our focus going forward has to be to do everything we can yes, at the local level and every other level we can think of, to strengthen families, to give children fathers, to train those fathers in the Word of God, in truth, in goodness, in rightness. But even as I say this, I feel like I'm a man standing in the ash descending from the burning building of what used to be the West and America. Because there are now so many forces against strong, virtuous manhood. There are so few left who will speak for it, who will defend it. There are so few Christians, born-again believers, who will invest in young men to make them strong men by the grace of God. I'm in the minority position here, certainly in our society and culture, and even perhaps in the church. The solution is not to take strength out of men. The solution is to make boys into strong men. Not strong men for their own glory. Strong men by the grace of God for the glory of God. Oh, here again. God help us various worldviews have conspired in the West to attack over and over and over again the concept of strong biblical manhood. But again, in, in human terms, 
that is so much of what will help people. And it is just remarkable to hear, for example, voices on the left speak against violence and attacks and guns and shootings and, in a broader sense, strong manhood, what is called patriarchy, what is called toxic masculinity, at the same time that those very same individuals employ very strong men as their bodyguards and security teams and smaller police forces who protect those same politicians and celebrities and public voices that decry just that reality. Don't miss this irony. Everyone knows we need strong men. Everyone knows it without exception. Everyone knows at some level, because of the conscience, Romans 2, 14 to 16, that evil is strong in our world. And everyone knows that there can only be a strong response to meet and, if possible, overcome that strong evil. And the very same people who speak against toxic manhood by which they usually or often mean assertive manhood, the very same people who are trying to take the manhood out of young boys and neuter them and make them into half-girls, those very same people employ bodyguards and security teams populated by strong men, many of whom carry instruments of deadly force. Do not let the irony roll off your back. Everyone knows we need strong men. It's just a matter of who is willing to stand up and actually pay for the promotion of that reality in society. As a fourth reflection, this is encouraging, actually. Even in our chaotic and struggling order, there are yet strong men who will put themselves on the line. Even in 2022, even in these evil days, in a common grace sense, there are strong men who will put their lives on the line for the good of others. Some of you saw this. There was an absolutely startling story that emerged out of Uvalde at the end of last week as the details of the almost 50-minute delay between when police officers initially entered the school building and then when the second team entered the building. No less an outfit than the New York Times reported this. The New York Times, in a story entitled Police Response to Uvalde Shooting Infuriated Parents Clinging to Hope, reported this. And this is truly stunning. I'm going to read at length. Jacob Alvarado, an off-duty Border Patrol officer, was about to sit down for a haircut when he got a text message from his wife, Trisha, a fourth-grade teacher at Robb Elementary, the site of the shooting by Ramos. There's an active shooter, she said in the message. Help, and then I love you. According to the Times, Mr. Alvarado flew out of the barbershop and sped to the school. His wife and the children she taught were hiding under desks and behind curtains, Their daughter, a second grader at Rob, was locked in a bathroom, she had told him. He borrowed a shotgun from the barber who had come with him. Once he got to the school, he learned that a tactical team was already forming to enter the wing where the gunman was holed up. So Mr. Alvarado quickly made a plan with other officers at the scene, evacuate as many children as possible. I'm looking for my daughter, but I also know what wing she's in, he said. So I start clearing all the classes in her wing. And this is the final paragraph I'll read. Two officers provided cover, guns drawn, he said, and two others guided the children out on the sidewalk. They were just all hysterical, of course, Alvarado said. When he finally saw his eight-year-old daughter, Jada, he hugged her, but then kept moving the other children along. Still barricaded inside a room elsewhere in the school, the gunman fired sporadically at the walls and door, officials said, until the tactical team went into the room and killed him. End quotation from the New York Times story. So here we are discussing terrible things, discussing a society at some level under divine judgment, discussing many different 
factors that have worked together to create this kind of situation in Uvalde, Texas, a situation in which we grieve. It has taken me some time to read up on this, and I have not wanted to comment in a very quick way. I want to grieve with those who grieve or mourn with those who mourn. And so um, I have waited some days uh, before doing a podcast on this and, as I say, have tried to gather what data I can on this event. But now some matters are coming to light. And one of them is that even in this unspeakable tragedy, we see a sign that strong manhood, and again, I'm defining that in a common grace way. I don't mean necessarily everybody who would respond in a strong manhood sort of way is a Christian. I'm recording this on Memorial Day, for example. Many of those who died to protect America and defend and advance freedom and liberty here and in some form around the world were not necessarily a born-again Christian. The center of God's kingdom is always in the gospel. But we also recognize that God is a gracious God and that there are men who will put themselves on the line for others. Doing so is in no way salvific. It's not the apex of certainly what we're after as Christians, but it is also right. It is only right to acknowledge that even sometimes sinners do what is right and do what is good. They cannot do so to save themselves, but they can do so because there is common grace in this world. Jacob Alvarado is not known to me. I don't know his spiritual state. I don't know his heart. I've never heard of him until this very setting. But I know that what Alvarado did was right. I know it was nothing less than heroic. Alvarado, according to the Times, which is not doing any kind of work in a series uh, and focused way to try to uh, advance the cause of strong manhood, the Times says that he flew out of the barbershop and sped to the school. This is it. Friends, this is it. This is what we're after. In darkness, we see a little glimmer of common grace light. This is the kind of manhood we're after. We are not after manhood. Whatever was going on in Uvalde, and I don't know the details, but whatever was going on there, it is very clear that it took officials almost an hour to enter the school and clear it. And that is an absolute tragedy by all I can pick up and allegedly know. But I do know this from the Times. Not everybody waited. It appears that there were parents who were banging on the fence, trying to get into the school, trying to help their children and others uh, had that same burden as well. Details are still emerging, but it seems that some people did try to get into the school, perhaps even got into the school, but could not stop the gunman. But Alvarado succeeded. Alvarado went into the school with the tactical team. He did not delay long at all. He really didn't delay. He made a plan quickly, the Times says, with other officers, get as many children out. And then he and these individuals, I assume many of them men, went into the school and they got tons and tons of children out. So here is a hero. We have already identified the villain acting in terrible wickedness and terrible evil. And now we identify this is what we are after as Christians. But not just strong manhood in a common grace sense. We are after young men who, out of the image of Jesus Christ, live out this kind of virtuous manhood. Jesus Christ, we remember, laid down his life for his bride. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Jesus Christ died for his church. Jesus Christ protected us against the devil. Jesus Christ gave himself in order to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf and make a way for us to be forgiven and go to glory for all eternity. The ultimate hero is not somebody in some mythological tale or beautiful children's story or even in the news reports around us. The ultimate hero, the ultimate strong man, is 1 John 3, 8, 
the one who appeared to destroy the works of the devil, the one who came to do battle against Satan in order to save us and rescue us and free us from the power of death and the power of sin and the condemnation under sin that the law brings for all of us. We don't go outside of Scripture to find heroic manhood. Heroic manhood is found in Scripture. Everything men are looking for, everything those around us are looking for, is there. Nonetheless, in God's common grace, we find evidences in our society that strong manhood, in a more general sense, I don't know Alvarado's heart, has not disappeared. And that is the kindness of God to us. How we should give thanks for this man and those who acted with him, because this is exactly, this is exactly what we want our boys to do when evil breaks out unexpectedly around them. We don't want them to run away from danger. I say this with fear and trembling. God-centered fear, that is. The fear of God. We want them to run toward danger. As a church, beyond just men, we do not live in fear of the gates of hell. We charge the gates of hell. We are not living our lives first and foremost to be safe. We are living our lives, every man, every woman, all who are in Christ, fearlessly. We are living our lives for a greater concern, a greater aim, a greater glory than anything this world knows. We are living our lives for the glory of God. We have a higher authority. We have a higher call. We have a great commission. This is what the church is about. We are not here to save our lives. We are here to spend our lives. This applies to terrible emergencies like the ones we've covered here in this podcast, but it applies much more broadly for every Christian man or woman, boy or girl. Your life is not your own. Your life is not yours to save. Your life is only given you by God to spend. Spend it well. Don't trust this world's siren call. Don't believe its lies. Don't live as if you can perfectly secure your life here and as if that is your highest aim. Live your life for the glory of God, every Christian. But men, as I wrap this up, hear this higher call. Remember the image of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus did for his bride. Remember how Jesus went into the pit in order to rescue us. And in that pit, he did violence to the devil. He faced him down. He fought him off for us. He is the greater David who has defeated the greater Goliath for us. He's protected us. He has loved us. He has redeemed us. He has bought us back. He has gone into the terrible place that no one else would go, and he has come out victorious. And we are saved because of the man Christ Jesus. We cannot do what he did. We cannot save ourselves or anyone else if we act virtuously as Christian men. But we can go and do likewise. Powered by divine grace, we can be this kind of man. We can be strong men. We will always have much to repent of. We all, man and woman alike, boy and girl alike, stumble in many ways, James 3, 2, without exception. That's all of us. Nonetheless, claiming the grace of God that is in Jesus Christ every day we live as a Christian, we can spend our lives as men well. We can be a witness in evil days, in a society, in a nation at some level, under judgment. We can be salt and light. It is terrible that the darkness has grown so thick around us. But what is also the case when darkness is thick is that the light shines all the more. So be salt and be light men. Don't count your life precious. Spend your life 
all the church. Spend your life for the glory of God. Stop living bound in fear. Spend your life. There is freedom. You are freed from the fear of death. It is overcome. The cross of Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. You are headed to the celestial city. No one can knock you off the path. It may feel that way, but no one can. You are safe in the everlasting arms. You are kept. You are held. You are loved. You are forgiven. No one can undo this. God has you. You have what the world wants but can never find. You have the everlasting love and forgiveness of God. Live as if you do. And back to men as I conclude. Men, men, do not play it small. Live boldly. Live fearlessly. Lead your wife. Lead your children. Lead your church. Lead in your workplace. Lead in your neighborhood. The world desperately needs strong men of God. The hour is late. The days are evil. Fight while you still have breath for God's glory and all that is good. And remember the lines of Dylan Thomas's poem that I quoted at the beginning of this podcast. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright. Their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage. Rage.